Okay, so we are kicking off a new series this morning uh, called Worship by the Book. And we are taking a survey through the book of Psalms just to see what the contours, what the expanse is, the ups and the downs of an actual relationship with our holy God, what it looks like. Um, At the risk of embarrassing myself, I'm going to give you just a little, I'm just, I just want to shift our focus a little bit um, into what we're what the kind of book we're actually looking at is. Um, the Psalms have been used by Christians for, I mean, since Christianity began 2,000 years ago. They were also used, of course, by Israel um, for corporate worship. And this carries through to today. In fact, after the sermon, we're going to sing a song that actually incorporates the words of the psalm we're looking at this morning, which is Psalm 1. But just to give you a reminder of that, I mean, you don't really have to go far before you find a psalm that you've sung before and that you probably remember way back either uh, the first time you became a Christian, the the music you discovered, or if you grew up in the church, uh, the music you sang in children's ministry. Here we go. You ready? Bless the Lord, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Yes. Or create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I mean, come on. And then if you go back to the early Calvary Chapel days, you've got Chuck Smith singing in his deep voice, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. So good, so memorable. And we have to remember that the Psalms were originally created, written, composed, arranged for that purpose. Now, of course, that may have been how they were originally intended, originally written, but with exile, with the destruction of Jerusalem multiple times, with God's people being scattered uh, throughout the nations, the Psalms took a different turn as far as how they've been utilized. And of course, they became a guide for personal devotion, for personal prayer. And of course, they're also a scriptural resource for the divine words of God speaking into our present circumstances. So we're going to take the summer and we're going to survey these psalms and how they inform a holistic, actual, you know, blood, sweat and tears, nose to the grindstone relationship with God, daily relationship. And we're calling this series, like I said, Worship by the Book. We're going to intro it this morning with Psalm 1. And we're going to present three characteristics of an actual relationship with God. Firstly, like every other relationship that you have, it's either there or it's not. Secondly, like, or excuse me, secondly, it's the relationship that we've been looking for. And thirdly, this relationship is our only hope. So first, like every other relationship, it's either there or it's not. 
Let's go ahead and read uh, Psalm 1. Go ahead and turn to there if you haven't already. The book of Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. You're welcome. All right, let's read Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray before we get started. Dear Jesus, God, Father, Holy Spirit, be with us today as we learn from your word, as we open up this ancient book. And yet it speaks to us here today in our present circumstances, as is the beauty of this book. May we glean from it this summer. May we glean from it today. May it inform our day-by-day relationship with you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, relationships are there or they're not. Think of the closest relationship you have, whether it's your spouse or a close friend. If you were to tell me everything you know about that person, I still would not know them. I still would not actually have a relationship with them. It's either there or it's not. I would have to meet them. I would have to converse with them. We would have to have back and forth conversation. And we're going to look at Psalm 1 this morning that informs the rest of the Psalter in how a relationship with the Holy God meets a sinful, broken humanity. Now, Psalm 1 is an intro psalm. Many manuscripts actually don't have a number on it, which seems to indicate that it's actually to be understood as an introduction to the entire book of Psalms. Now, there's many, many types of Psalms. one of which is called a wisdom psalm. And a wisdom psalm like this one presents two ways. So in this case, it's the way of the wicked or the way of the righteous. It presents a fork in the road for us to decide, okay, which direction do I go and which one is the wise choice? So notice here in verse one and two, the the contrast between the two parties. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of of scoffers. But here's the other direction you can go. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. So notice that this contrast between the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked is not necessarily behavioral at its root. It's time spent. Where is the person spending their time and with whom? 
Are they spending their time in the council of the wicked or in the way of sinners or in the seat of scoffers? Or are they delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night? So it's a contrast between relationships. And the relational language of this psalm continues at the end in verse 6 when it says, The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Our God is big on relationship. Jesus is big on relationship. In Matthew 7, when Jesus sort of delineates, you know, who's going to be with him in eternity and who's not, some of the people that won't be with him say, well, we did all this amazing stuff in your name, Jesus. What's the deal? And he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. That's the core. That's the foundation. That's the root of this for us as believers in Jesus. So like I said, any relationship we have, it's either there or it's not. You know, I might say about that person you tell me about, when I meet them, I might say, wow, I feel like I already know you. But it takes actual conversation to know someone. You can't ever claim to know anyone without having actually spoken to them. So this person doesn't just avoid bad people. He or she spends time listening, reading, delighting in the law of God. And that word law can mean one of two things or both. It can mean the capital L, Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Testament, Or it can mean a general instruction from God. And like I said before, since this seems to be an introductory psalm to the rest of the psalms, I would suggest the psalmist is also talking about the rest of the Psalter, setting the stage for the collection of psalms to come, that we might delight in them, that we might spend time in them, that they might actually inform this relationship that we have with God through Christ. Now, this person, it says, meditates day and night. And that's what's called a merism, where You know, uh, in another place in scripture, uh, God says he will separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. And really what we're talking about is the chasm, the difference. And day and night is is the same. We don't it's not like this person has a a reminder in their phone to, you know, check the word at 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. This is this is just all day. That we are delighting in God's words all day long. Why? Because we know God. Because we know him. This person is in constant conversation with God because he knows God. Many of us right now, um, we are listening to a lot of voices. We are consuming a lot of information. We're reading a lot of articles, a lot of blogs, watching a lot of videos, films, documentaries right now. And all of this is good and is necessary to be educated about what's going on in our city, in our country, and even in our own hearts. Things we might be blind to. However, many of us, myself included, have only furthered our addiction to our phones, to the news, and to social media. And I've been convicted of this the last few days that I am a finite human being. That I only have limited emotional, mental, 
physical resources. So if we take a quick inventory of our time spent in the last week on all of the above things and compare that time with the time we spent in actual one-on-one conversation, dialogue with other people, or more importantly, actual dialogue with God about these issues. How does that time spent compare? Can, can we say to ourselves, all right, I haven't, I haven't been walking in, in all these other councils. I've been spending time knowing who God is and who I am before him. And I have to say about myself that it's been a lot more of a contrast the other way. So all I'm asking of myself is that I slow down enough to recognize my limits and how much I can reasonably consume and to supplement that time with what we also need desperately, which is one-on-one conversation with other people, of course, but also life-giving time with God, hearing his words. So, like every other relationship we have, this relationship between us and our creator, it's either there or it's not. It's, it's pretty simple. You either have it or you don't. And we'll get into more of that in a minute. But if we look at verses three and four, we look at this is the relationship that we've been looking for. Look at verse three again. It says, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Notice the imagery of that. Who would not want to be this person? That's planted by a stream of water that no matter what comes, still has nutrients, still has life, still can bear fruit. A person who is in constant and regular communication with God and his word has stability, purpose, and peace like a fruit tree planted by a river. Jeremiah also describes the life of two sorts of people, and it's really fascinating the parallel that he draws. He says in Jeremiah 17, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. In contrast, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes or its leaves remain for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Again, that contrast. This is the relationship you are looking for. Whether you're married or single, have lots of friends or only a few, I love what that parallel passage in Jeremiah shows us. Heat comes. Drought comes. The year of drought comes. But where is this person planted? By streams of water, which correspond to the very words of God. And why are these words life-giving? Because they're from the life-giver. A drought is no match for an underground stream. 
That's why the Psalms are so beautiful to, to meditate on. Because they're full of people in their brokenness, in their mess, in the heat, during the drought, coming to God and laying it all out. One commentator writes that the power of the Psalms is not that they present us with a neat, theologically consistent package that we can assent to or reject. Instead, they confront us with the messiness and the conflict of the life of faith lived out in the real world of body, mind, and spirit. In so doing, they allow God's word to penetrate deeply. And as we'll get to in the next several weeks, many of the Psalms are intense. They are sad. They are desperate. They are grievous. They are laments. Listen to the words of Psalm 88. The author writes, You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. He's talking to God. These are the words of a desperate soul. So the question that I was thinking is, what what makes those words God's words to us? Why should we read this desperate lament and think, that's God's words to me? It's because the God of the universe heard that person's lament. He was present with that person in their pain. And therefore, when we are in pain like that, and many of us have been or are there now, we know without a shadow of a doubt that God hears us. He listens to us. He is present with us. One of the scriptures that we meditated and reflected on during Friday's fast uh, in the service says that, Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. The Psalms are the easiest place to connect what you're actually going through with what God is actually like. The Psalms show us that tough things are not only okay to pray, but that God wants to hear it. Are you wanting to express your gratitude to God? There's a Psalm for that. Are you furious at injustice, whether directed at you or at somebody else? There's a psalm for that. Are you angry at God? There's a psalm for that. You know, I, I've had a few solid, I'd say, genuine panic attacks in my life. And one of them was during college. I was in my bedroom. Um, and I was right in the middle of... Um, I, one of, one of the biggest lessons God has taught me in my life is that I can make a decision. I'm, I'm historically very indecisive. And so when I got to college, I realized, wow, I'm actually making some of the first actual decisions of my life because before this, everything was sort of decided for me. Like, oh, you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. You're supposed to get good grades. Yes, sir, I can do that. But now that I'm out of that, you know, out of my parents' house, in my grandma's house, but out of my parents' house, I had the power to influence my life, to to make 
decisions that impact the rest of my life. Oh my goodness. That just, that just tore me apart. And so here I was, you know, indecisive with what to do with my life, uh, who to marry, who I was. And God put Psalm 139 in my life at that moment. And I remember pacing my room, falling to my knees, crying out Psalm 139. And God, in his grace, provided those words for me in that moment. Those were the words I needed to say. And it led me to know that he knew who I was, that he would be with me as I figured all the other stuff out. He even told me that he wasn't going to make these decisions for me, but he's going to be there with me as I learn to make those crucial decisions. And so those words were given to me, but also obviously to all of us. And that's the beauty of the Psalms. They connect our day-to-day issues with God's day-to-day character. And as believers in Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the King. We have the King's ear. Spirit 105.3 keeps reminding me during this pandemic that We're his kids. God's got this. And as a people who have a God who listens, who hears, what's amazing is that he can turn us into a people who slow down enough to listen to others as well. That we can reflect God's character in this time, in this circumstance, in this cultural moment. We can reflect his character, which is, Give it to me. Tell me what you're going through. We'll be here. We love you. God loves you. We can put aside our defensiveness and listen in order to understand. And that's the challenge that I want to give us this morning, especially just in the cultural moment, the racial justice conversation that's literally raging right now. As Christians, as worshipers of the God who listens, we need to illustrate that grace to others. Slow your roll, listen to the stories, listen in order to understand. Listen, listen, listen. This is the relationship we've all been looking for. And moving into verse five, this is is the relationship that is our only hope. Verse five, therefore, The wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Hope is at the root of everything we do or don't do as humans. We're seeing that play out just a block from our church. One group hopes to create a utopia here on earth. Another group hopes to get back to the good old days. But neither is ultimately true. Our one hope lies in this one relationship. We can't forget that Jesus said he is preparing a place for us. That Paul said that we are citizens of another kingdom. 
that the author of Hebrews says that we are strangers and exiles here on earth. Does that mean we don't strive for justice while we're here? Not at all. During Israel's exile in Babylon, which was a pagan kingdom, God calls them to seek the welfare of that city. And that's what we're called to do here in Seattle, here in Capitol Hill, and in America. But America is not heaven, and it never was, and it never will be. Jesus said that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This isn't a slap a smile on it relationship. This is not a pretend everything is okay relationship. Back when I was having my college panic attacks, um, I did have um, my future wife, Anna, who was one of the solid rock relationships and friends at the time that God had provided for me. And she wrote something, and I don't know if it was she took it from something. Obviously, she took it from Winnie the Pooh. But uh, in her emails, she would write, your friend for all times, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the here's and the there's, the nears and the fars, the heffalumps and woozles, signed Anna. I know that's super cute, but that is the relationship we have with God, that he is here for all times, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the nears and the fars, the here's and the there's, the heffalumps and woozles. An actual, full-bodied, genuine ups and downs relationship with God through Jesus Christ is our only hope. If you don't yet enjoy that actual relationship with God, just know this, that Jesus Christ came to earth he lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserved. He was raised from the dead so that you could be reconciled to God, your creator, and enjoy the relationship that you actually need and is your only hope. Please respond to that invitation today. It is open. It's, a, it's an open invitation. Jesus has paid it all. He has paid the price. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, but you've been distant, or maybe just recently distant, Jesus is like the friend you can pick right back, right back up with like nothing ever happened. He isn't passively aggressively scrolling your Facebook page, wondering when you're going to reach out to him. He's just there. A psalm simply means, I mean, the word psalm simply means a composition arranged to a musical instrument. But the Hebrew Bible titles the book of Psalms with the word Tehillim, which is praises. Which is interesting because if you read the first half of the book of Psalms, there's a lot of laments. There's a lot of grief and sadness, and not all of them end with praise. But as you read the entire book, you'll notice that the laments are toward the beginning and the praises are stacked at the end, which illustrates the theology of the Psalms. We are moving from lament to praise. 
This life, this world is full of sadness, of injustice, and of grief. And God wants to hear it all because he is present through it all. In Jesus, he experienced the gamut of all of it. He doesn't want us to stuff it. He wants us to acknowledge it. And then and only then can we move on to praise. And we'll be praising him and knowing him for all of eternity because of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a gracious father, that you love us like like we are and we are your kids. Lord, as we ponder Father's Day next week, Lord, may we just remember that you are the ultimate father. Lord, that you love us so, so much. Lord, may we receive that and know that and then extend that same love outward. Lord, help us not to just be inward, but may we just turn our attention outward so we can love others in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the relationship you've cultivated and created for us. Thank you for the Psalms and how they illustrate and delineate the gamut of what kinds of conversations we can have with you. Help us not to to hide things from you. Help us not to try and process things apart from you. Lord, help us to bring everything to you. Everything. Because we are yours. Jesus, you have purchased us with your body, with your death. You purchased us. We are yours. Lord, may we live like that as a church body. Lord, bring us together soon. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to keep worshiping in just one minute.